Dr. Massey and welcome to Office Hours with SPIA Student Union. I am Emily Gale and I am the president of the organization and we're happy to have you here today. Yeah, well, thanks, Emily. It's a pleasure to have an opportunity to join you. Yeah. So today uh, you said you wanted to talk more about the Master of International Policy program um, and all that it entails. So first, I'm going to ask you some questions about like you personally, uh, so students listening um, can get to know you a little bit better. Uh, so my first question for you is, what do you teach? Okay, well, I teach uh, three classes in the MIP program. And so those three classes, even though they are specifically designed for MIP students, we invite all graduate students to come into the classes. The first one is uh, INTL 6000, <clears throat> and that is our uh, foundation of international policy class. It's one of the core cap classes in the MIP program. And what we do in that class is we introduce students to the national security enterprise. But more importantly, perhaps what we do is we begin the transition or begin to introduce students to policy writing. Um, the second class I teach is INTL 8270, uh, which is the politics of trade and security. And so in this class, we are focused primarily on export controls. And this class is one of the core classes, or I should say it's I shouldn't use the term core. It is one of the track classes in our non-proliferation track. And so in that class, we focus a lot on uh, US uh, export control regulations, the ITAR, the International Trade and Arms Regulations and the EAR, Export Administration Regulations. And then we also take an opportunity to look at the international non-proliferation efforts focused through export controls. Um, the final class I teach is uh, INTL 8278, Energy Statecraft is the title of that class. And this is one of the uh, classes in the MIPS uh, energy security track. And so in this class, what we do is <clears throat> look at how nations use energy resources as instrument of, instruments of power to achieve geopolitical gains. Um, I co-teach this class with uh, Dr. David Gaddy. Um, we have a strong partnership with the College of Engineering and Dr. Gaddy is one of the, uh, he's an associate professor over at the College of Engineering. I've heard that. That's something that um, is very rare to find in colleges, I think, um, or at least from the different um, bases of education that you teach in. So uh, forgive me for lack of words, but uh, like to have like a science-based uh, program or professor intermix with the social science it's just very it's interesting like it doesn't happen all the time but I think they're very complementary especially in that class so yes well in just real quickly Emily I'll say that we have found that the students absolutely uh, love the class and what we're looking at doing what we have done is essentially flipped the STEM model that is recognizing that STEM is important understanding some of the uh uh, technical aspects of nuclear reactors and other components that make up our electrical grid, that that's very accessible to students if you have someone that can, to uh, social science students. Um, all to say that you do, there's not necessarily a need to take three or four classes of calculus before you can be introduced to these technical concepts. And so uh, we've enjoyed uh, introducing students to uh, kind of flipping that the, the STEM paradigm and and teaching uh, social science or policy oriented students some of the technical aspects. Yeah. So out of those three classes that you teach, which one is your favorite? 
Ooh, well, I, I'll tell you, Emily, what I really enjoy about my job is just the opportunity to interact with students. Uh, but if pressed, I would have to say the uh, probably the 6,000 class that, that I teach. And the reason I really enjoy that class is because once we transition and begin speaking about policy writing, we have, you know, it's at University of Georgia, there's exceptionally sharp students in there, but the majority of them, although not all of them, come from a social science background and they are accustomed to a much longer form of writing. And so when we limit them to one page or two pages, it seems simple at first, but very quickly what they recognize is that uh, the new challenge is prioritization. It's not just coming up with great ideas, it's how do I present those ideas and how do I order and prioritize those ideas and which ideas do I, I leave off? And so I always enjoy going through that process with those new students of limiting them to, it's two pages, not two and a half pages, it's, it's two pages is what the format is. So uh, I, I enjoyed the 6,000 class. It's the first time I get to see the new cohorts together. So we go through a recruiting process. I speak to many of these students the year prior as they are considering where they are gonna land. And so it's also very uh, satisfying to finally see those individuals in one class together and have an opportunity to, to see the cohort come together. Good deal. I definitely struggle with the concision part of memo writing and policy writing. That is something you spoke very true to home for me. Um, but uh, where did you get your degrees from? So I have uh, two degrees. I did my undergrad at Auburn and uh, I graduated from Auburn in 1996 and then came here and finished my doctorate in 2017. In the interim period, I spent 20 plus years in the Marine Corps. Um, and so I also had a chance from uh, my service to uh, go to the uh, Marine Corps Command and Staff College, and then also had an opportunity to uh, complete programs at the Naval Postgraduate School and at the Naval War College. That's really cool. Uh, my dad has completed coursework at the Army War College, so. Okay, great. Is he uh, a contractor? Or is he working? Is he a service member? Yes, sir. He is a um, he's a National Guards member, and he also um, is about to retire, so he's looking for like post-retirement opportunities at the moment. Yeah, great. Well, good. So what are some of like your general interests and hobbies? Um, the uh, Just a few days ago, I was joking with a friend that I, I think what has evolved into my new hobby is glamping. Are you familiar with the term glamping? I grew up glamping, so yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I had a great opportunity to spend many years out on the West Coast, uh, down in Southern California, and then I spent five years up in the Sierra Nevadas, a small Marine Corps base that shared a boundary with Yosemite National Park, um, and then several years up in Washington State. And during that time, my wife Molly and myself, we really became avid hikers and skiers and did a lot of backpacking. But since then, we've, we've had three kids. And so now we've got a 12-year-old, a 10-year-old. And as of last year, we have a one-year-old. And so we've slowly transitioned into car camping and, and doing short day hikes. Um, and then last year, with the pandemic, one of the things we always try to do is return to Washington State, which is where my wife is from, to visit my in-laws and, and see friends there. Well, we didn't want to, <clears throat> excuse me, we didn't want to fly. Um, we didn't want to stay in hotels, and so we ended up buying a small 17-foot trailer, 
And so it's just kind of slowly evolved to from backpacking to now, you know, I, I can't envision sleeping on the ground or, or having to stay overnight someplace without air conditioning. But nonetheless, we still say we love to get outdoors. So I've kind of embraced that, you know, hey, Molly, I really think we're glamping at this point is what we're doing. <laughs> and it's still fun, though, because you still get to do all the fun outdoor activities. You just get to cool off at the end of the day. That's right. That's right. We like to set the kids outside in a tent. So that they can get the full experience but we stay in the trailer <laughs> there you go i mean that's a fun experience for them so that's okay. right so getting more into like the the mip program or the mip program as a whole what is the main difference between the full track like if, if i'm applying from a different university uh, or from the university itself but um not doing double dogs so what's the difference between the two of those yeah, so with the double dog program, or I should start off by saying for our traditional students that come in, um, we have a very rigorous program of study that they follow through. With the double dogs, we thought there was going to be some rigor to that program, but really what we have found is that each of the double dog students kind of get to tailor, design, uh, customize their own program of study. And that is uh, just a result of everybody's taking different classes. They are all at different points in their careers. And so in some ways it works great. In other ways, uh, I feel like uh, the double dogs, even though by the second semester, they really begin to mesh with that cohort. But if you take classes out of sequence, as I mentioned, the 6,000 class, that's where I first see that traditional cohort. You know, if you miss out Dr. Massey, I'm sorry we got cut off, little hiccup with internet issues. Um, but the question I asked before we got cut off was, what's the difference between the double dog program and the traditional track of the, the MIP program? Yeah, Emily, uh, no worries. So I think I was just saying that really the, the primary distinction is that those traditional students have a very rigorous program of study, which they follow through the entire program. The double dog students, on the other hand, have an opportunity to tailor and, and somewhat customize what classes they are going to take when. And so in some ways, there are a lot of advantages to being able to do that. And other ways in terms of having all of your classes with a single cohort and really have an opportunity to uh, build strong relationships and networks, some of that may be diminished a little bit. Um, but for what I found, you know, students are are happy with both tracks. They don't seem to mind. I get to see some of those differences as, as the director of the program and assisting those students. But, you know, overall, I, I think the students are happy for either opportunity that they are presented with. Absolutely. Um, so what is the main focus of the MIP and like what all does it cover? Yeah, so the MIP program we describe as the applied or the professional um, the Applied or Professional Graduate Degree in the International Affairs Department. That is, it's designed for students who want to terminate with a master's and then go and pursue a, a job. Uh, the majority of our students uh, aspire to go and work in the U.S. government somewhere. Uh, we always have a handful that end up in industry um, and, and a few other places. But really, that's the primary distinction is that the MA track and this isn't, does not always hold true, but the MA track is really more for those students who aspire to stay in academia to get their PhD. 
the MIP track is really for those students interested in international relations, security policy, um, who desire to terminate with a master's and, and then go and work in the government somewhere. Okay, I'm glad you clarified that because that was going to be my next question. Like, what's the difference between the master in international affairs and then the master in public or international policy? So, yeah, yeah. Okay. And so I, I'll just say too there, Emily, that it's not uncommon, however, that we have a MIP student. And in fact, this year we have a MIP student um, who was just accepted, got a full ride to Johns Hopkins for their PhD. And so we have students that come in and change their mind and decide that, well, maybe I, I would like to pursue a research career and go that track. And so in no way does it minimize you, uh, but we do have different emphasis uh, in each of the programs. That is, the MA is not going to focus on policy writing. And in the MIP program, you are not going to complete as full of a curriculum focused on methods as you would if you were in the MA program. So, but those distinctions in no way from prevent you from pursuing careers in, in either in either direction. Okay, that makes sense. Um, can students specialize in anything in the MIP program? Well, we have uh, three specializations beginning right now we have two beginning next year we're going to have three specializations or tracks uh, our legacy program is the international security and non-proliferation track okay. um, you know we are affiliated with we're administered by and in fact i work at the center for international trade and security mm -hmm. which is one of the two departments or one of the two centers that are in the international affairs department um, and sits for over 30 years has done work in the non-proliferation field. So that's one of our specializations. The other is a human security track. And this is related to that core expertise that we have in the International Affairs Department of Human Rights Experts. Mm -hmm. And then the third track uh, that we'll begin offering next year as a track is gonna be the energy security track. And again, this just speaks to the uh, the growing partnership that SITS has with the uh, College of Engineering. And so right now we have a few energy classes that we teach. We're adding a few classes to that curriculum and we'll have a full track, uh, knock on wood, beginning next year. Very cool. Uh, are there any classes that you would recommend undergraduate students who are interested in the MIP program to take before applying or to prepare for the degree? Yeah, so there is not one particular class that um, I recommend to students. You know, our we recruit a relatively uh, small cohort. We only bring in approximately 20 students per cohort. And it's very interdisciplinary. That is, we are looking for students from across uh, all disciplines. Mm -hmm. And so we've got students that are business majors, journalism majors. We actually have one music major. Um, someone who's from the genetics department. We've got a genetics PhD student that's also getting their MIP degree. And so in terms of a particular class, that's not as important as having more of a refined and a mature understanding of what your career aspirations are. Mm -hmm. And so since we do recruit a relatively small, that is roughly around 20 individuals is what we look at bringing in each year, we're going to ensure that those 20 individuals that we invite to join us, that their career aspirations align with the expertise that we teach. Okay. And so if you're not a good match, you may be an exceptional student, but the MIP's probably not best for you. And so we wanna make sure that at the end of those two years that you have 
positive outcomes in terms of career placement. And so that's our goal. And that's kind of how we manage those expectations in terms of, you know, what, what can I specialize in? Okay, that makes sense. So one of the last questions I have for you is you mentioned uh, SITS. And I know that there's another program in the organization uh, or part of the university, the Security Leadership Program. So could you explain a little bit the difference or the relationship that you have with that program? Yeah, so Emily, as you mentioned, both the, the MIP and the SLP, the Security Leadership Program, are administered by or through the Center for International Trade and Security. Um, and so both programs are similar in that they have a security policy oriented focus. Um, and then additionally, myself and Dr. Marianne Gallagher, who is the uh, director of the SLP program, mm -hmm. uh, we coordinate quite a bit to uh, ensure that uh, we're able to um, use our resources wisely in terms of guest speakers or experiential opportunities to benefit the students, whether they be in the SLP undergrad program or the MIP graduate program. Gotcha. And so um, we work very closely together. Again, we're affiliated through SITS. And so uh, many of those relationships and that network of policy experts that we have, mm -hmm. we share that network. And we know a lot of the same students. There are many students that are in the SLP. There's always two or three that are also a double dog in the MIP program or have graduated from the SLP and have elected to uh, pursue their graduate degree. Uh, here at Georgia in the mail program. Yeah, I, that's why I asked because I knew that I would think that some students interested in the SLP would also be looking further into their future and thinking about the, the MIT program. So yeah. um, I wanted to kind of flesh out that relationship a little bit better for like those prospective students. Yeah, and you know, Emily, I'll just say now that you mentioned it, going back to your previous question about one class you could take, I would take the SLP class. <laughs> There you go. <laughs> that would be the one I would recommend. Yes. <laughs> Very cool. All right. Well, thank you, Dr. Massey, for joining us today. And thank you for sticking through the internet hiccup we just had earlier. Um, you're always welcome to come back and talk about something that you're more interested in, like in terms of your specialty or your academic interests and whatnot. So uh, thank you. And I hope you have a good day. Emily, I appreciate the opportunity. Thank you.